0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 63 of the John Riley Project. It is Thursday, July 24th, 2019. We're broadcasting as we always do from the city and the country, Poway, California. Welcome to the fabulous JRP Podcast Studio. This is the uh, branch office here in the backyard. I told you earlier we have a couple of uh, members of the New Mexico Base team here joining my son and the three of them they're all working out together getting ready for next year a little summer workout program so um, I've been effectively booted out of my podcast studio <laughs> so it's all good it's a good excuse to come out here and record um, God, what time is it now it's like 630 so it's starting to cool off a bit um, so it's a perfect time to be outdoors and I'm having a little fun bringing the podcast studio around and bring it into a mobile environment so hope you enjoy the scenery something a little different to look at so i'll probably be doing these outdoor podcasts for the next few weeks and um, i'll just be loving every minute of it so all good so anyways um Yeah, today we're going to talk about, uh, you know, in the past, we we talk a lot about local issues in Poway, but today we're going to talk about some national issues, and it's the whole, you know, the whole send her back thing. Um, That was a piece of news about a week or so ago, and I got a couple of unique takes on that. I want to share my thoughts, and then I want to talk a little bit about the death penalty, because that was also in the news today. Um, So plenty to, to dig into. But let's start off first. I mean, how many of you actually got a chance to watch the hearings? I think it was yesterday when Robert Mueller was testifying in front of Congress. Oh, my God. I mean, this was such a freaking circus. Um, I, I watched maybe 10 minutes of it. And the poor guy, Mueller, you could tell he was nervous, didn't want to be there. And as you can expect, some of the Republican congressmen were coming down hard on him because, you know, it was a highly partial Partisan, highly politically charged event. But I was just watching the whole thing. And I'm thinking, you know, what's the point here? I mean, he's not allowed to go beyond the boundaries of his report that he presented. So I think the desperation was that the Dems thought that they were going to, you know, get some new evidence to finally get Trump. Um, and I think... You know, Mueller essentially said Trump was not exonerated. Mueller said a number of things that, you know, that Trump could be essentially indicted if he wasn't a sitting president. Um, But ultimately, Trump wasn't indicted. And so you seem like you see both sides just sort of thinking they won, you know, but really – Who's winning this? This is just a – it's a freaking cluster. Um, it's a circus is what it is. I mean, some people call it Kabuki Theater. It's, it's like a sideshow that keeps us off of the things that are really important. In this nation, big problems to solve. Now, granted, I'm no fan of President Trump. Um, If it were me, I I would hope that the Dems would just step up and just put their money where their mouth is. And if they're going to impeach the guy, then let's get busy. You know, it seems to me there's evidence to at least begin an inquiry. You know, they have to go through that phase of doing some investigation to see if there is a reason to indict him. Um, And then they would have to go through the process of indicting him, which would essentially then Bring it to court, and then it would go to the Senate, where an actual case would be heard. But it just seems that the Democrats are just playing it; they're weak, you know, and they don't want to get people upset, you know, and and they're trying to that they, they think they're going to be able to beat Trump in twenty twenty, and you know, they, be careful; <laughs> that's that's not an easy one either. Um, so. Uh, again, I'm no, I'm no fan of Trump And I, I even saw an article today That th- they were recommending That maybe what the people that are opposing Trump Need to do is similar To what the people in Puerto Rico did To oust their governor uh, But really, I don't know, Trump's never going to resign on his own I think we all know that uh, But it was just crazy just watching all this And then, yeah, Trump was pr- prancing around like a peacock And, yeah, he's, they got nothing No collusion, no obstruction I'm like, oh, God So um, I don't know, the 2020 election can't come soon enough, in my opinion. So uh, what else is going on? Um, the other kind of fun topics. How about this Area 51 thing, you know, that's happening? You know, Area 51 is that um, Air Force base that's outside of Las Vegas, um, where supposedly aliens are being uh, housed and not <laughs> not the illegal aliens that Trump likes to talk about and his supporters. But I mean, like. Like extraterrestrial aliens Um, And This whole topic fascinates me I don't know if you ever watched Or actually listened to Art Bell On the radio He was so much fun Every once in a while he'll still come on the air Or maybe did he die? I can't remember. But I I used to listen to him all the time in the 90s and a little bit in the early 2000s before he retired. He was this guy, the late night guy uh, that was on, you know, around midnight into the wee hours of the morning. And he was a conspiracy theorist. And he talked about aliens and ancient religions. I mean, that whole ancient aliens TV show on the History Channel is just all like art bell stuff and i just love that i mean it's just so fascinating i i love science fiction and and i enjoy following it to me it's like entertainment but sometimes it makes you wonder so it's it's fun to think about uh so this whole area 51 thing is interesting um but just another, I know, I, just, I want to share this one Art Bell story. Because remember Art Bell, he used to broadcast from right near Area 51. He called it the Kingdom of Nye. And he lived in Nye County, N-Y-E. Uh, Nye County was in that desolate area in Nevada. And he uh, lived in Pahrump, Nevada. P-A-H-R-U-M-P, I think. Um, and... It's just fascinating. He had the most amazing guests on his program, and there was a guy named Gordon Michael Scallion that was a guest, and he was a futurist, apparently, and he would get these visions and dreams about what was going to happen to the world. And he used to say that the axis of the Earth was going to tip and that um, the global ice caps were going to melt and there would be mass flooding and the seas would rise and California, much of it would be turned into islands. The Mississippi River was going to widen. Atlantis was going to rise off the eastern coast of Florida. I mean, it's just so fun to hear people talk about this. And then one time uh, my wife and I, we were up in Seattle. This is in the mid 90s and we had done one of those vacations with back roads you ever heard of them and it's really cool where we we did a bicycling vacation where you ride basically 30 40 miles a day and then at, in the evening you camp out and they make food for you they set up your tents and they pack your suitcases and, and then you just keep riding every day for like 30, 30 miles a day for like seven days and we did that throughout the puget sound and it was a great vacation well, anyways, uh, when we were in Seattle on one of our off days, we walked into a map shop, which I love maps. Maps are like really cool art. If you come into my house, we have a number of maps, both historic maps, artistic maps, because I think there, there are a form of art and there's a story behind every map. So we were in the map store in Seattle and sure enough, we found a map of the, the future vision of gordon michael scallion and it was it sure it showed you know the the seas rising and and the land masses and the the borders of where the land meets the water were completely distorted and different it was just it's crazy um so i had to buy it and so to this day i still have it um i had it mounted and framed and it's in my office in the house um But it's just cool. And uh, I'm thinking about this Area 51 thing. I guess it's going to go down on September 20th. And they say thousands of people are going to show up and they're going to try to storm Area 51. And apparently the Air Force has said they're going to defend it and they have guns. So I'm curious to see what happens. Um, But it's just... I don't know. It's just fun. Uh, So uh, looking forward to that. And then I heard also the following day, which I think would be September 21st, there's going to be a similar thing in Scotland where they're going to go and kind of do a big surge of people into Loch Ness to see if they can find Nessie. Um, You know, the prehistoric... Dinosaur or I don't know what it is It's in the water there so again All these things just crazy Rumors no there's never any Proof you know real proof we ever going to find it who knows but it's just Fun so that's been in the news lately And I'm always fascinated by that stuff Um, Anyways um, Let's get back to kind of More reality Um, and let's talk A little bit about this send her back comment And Maybe you I'm, if you've been paying attention to the news, you can't miss it. Um, but I, I just want to share some of my thoughts on this. And for those of you that might not be paying attention to the news, let me just kind of set it up here. So these... This whole send her back thing came from a series of Trump tweets where he was essentially calling out um, these four uh, congresswomen and their four progressive congresswomen and ranting on them. And it was a very calculated, very strategic move by Trump, which I'll get into. And then that turned into um, chants at Trump rallies of send her back and, and, and accusations of racism and all sorts of things that went on with this. And. And um, to me, this issue is interesting from a couple of different angles. So, um, you know, it's it's all about stoking division and fear. And that's what politicians are very good at doing. And you see it on the right and on the left is, is this divisiveness, this um, shrieking about creating fear, uncertainty, doubt, and using that as a means to get people elected and to put people in power. Um, and so this is, again, more of this manipulation, um, influence used for negative reasons. Um, so anyways, who, who are these four congressmen? You know, they're, they're, they're referred to as the squad and they're four uh, women that are very progressive, very left wing, and they are not shy. They don't back down. And but which, by the way, I like that in them. Uh, the four are Ilhan Omar from Minnesota, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We refer to her as AOC. Um, we've done a few podcasts here on the John Riley Project about AOC and some of her policies. Um, Ayana Presley from Massachusetts and Rashida Tlaib from Michigan um, and these four women, I think are fascinating um i i'm I'm not a supporter of many of their policies. There are probably a few that we happen to intersect, but for the most part, i'm not a real fan of their policies, but I love their style. I love the fact that they're bold. I love the fact that they're brave. I love the fact that they don't back down um and And they're aggressive. And I think this is great. I mean, I wish we would have more politicians that would stand up for what they believe in. Um, I've talked about this about Bernie Sanders. Similarly, I'm no fan of Bernie from a policy perspective, a philosophy perspective, but I deeply respect the man because he's so darn consistent and he will stand up on his principles in the fiercest of headwinds um, and he sticks to it. And to me, I I love that. And, you you know, who else did that to a great degree was Ron Paul who, by the way, I I greatly enjoyed. I thought he was great. You know, all these politicians have flaws. You know, Julie Mason on uh, the POTUS channel on Sirius XM 124, who, by the way, has a great program called the Press Pool. She always said, be careful. Don't ever fall in love with a politician because they always disappoint you. (laughs) That's true. Uh, But for these four women in the squad, you know, I I respect them because I think I said, I think they're brave and they're bold and and um, they don't toe the line, you know, they don't um, they don't fall in line with leadership. And I think that's good. Um, but some of their policies are just way the hell out there. Like just recently, um, Rashida uh, Talib was just said that she wanted to push for a $20 minimum wage. And again, I give her credit for the, she's not asking just for a little bit. She's asking for a lot. And, and, you know, that's a good place to kind of set the goalpost because then you can always back backfill from that and find a compromise that is still really attractive if that's your approach, if that's your strategy to raise the minimum wage. But I mean, think about it. I, mean, I have clients that I work with that their bottom line profit margin at the end of the day is like in the low single digit percentages in terms of their profit um, as divided by revenue. If you increase the minimum wage, and what is it in California now? I think it's eleven and a half dollars an hour. If you went to twenty dollars an hour, obviously the people on the low end, they'd move up. But even people that were making fifteen, eighteen dollars an hour, they would move up too. And if the entry people were making twenty dollars an hour, then the people that are above them in the pecking order are gonna be asking for twenty-five and thirty, and it's gonna create this cascading effect what the hell is going to happen? There's going to be a lot of companies that would go out of business. There would be a huge price increases. It would be extraordinarily disruptive. And then on top of that, um, and, and, and probably even more so from a moral perspective, there are people today that don't have jobs. They don't have the skills and the experience to get a job even at minimum wage. And if, you, if, if they can't get a job at $11.50, they don't have enough skills to generate enough value to earn $11.50 an hour. How in the heck are they going to get a job if it, the minimum is 15 an hour or 20 an hour? And so the minimum wage, I mean, I, again, this could probably be a whole podcast, but it sounds good you know, for the people that are earning a minimum wage. But for all the people that are not working, it makes it even harder. So the people that are truly poor, the abject poor, though those that are in serious poverty, this screws them because it makes it even harder for them to get a job. Um, and then on top of it, their prices will go up on all these products that they're dependent upon buying. So um, yeah. So any, anyway, so Rashida Talib just put forward the $20 an hour minimum wage. And like, again, I'm not. I'm not a fan of that But from her perspective And this is again Where I respect them From her perspective She's fighting a moral cause And I think that's great Um, A lot of the things That I fight for I believe I fight On a moral position as well We just happen to have A different point of view A different frame of reference A different Really a different interpretation Of what morality really is Uh, For me You know This whole podcast Is about life, liberty And the pursuit of happiness And a lot of the, my outlook on life a lot of my outlook on politics at the national, regional, and local level are really based on those fundamental principles that really were the foundation of our country when it, when it was created in 1776 our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness um, Anyways, uh, yeah, so I, I, give them great, uh, I give them great respect for sticking up to what they believe in, fighting on a moral plane, um, and not backing down. So, uh, But anyways, um, Trump, in a very calculated move, and this is on July 14th, really started coming after them, and uh, pers- probably even more so to Ilhan Omar. Um, but I want to read to you these three tweets from Trump and I'll break them down because I think there's some things that Trump said in these tweets that are extraordinary, that are mind blowing, that are lies, that are uh, contradictory to the values of America. Um, so let me read this. So interesting to see progressive in quotes, progressive Democrat congresswomen originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe. Wait a minute. Okay, of these four women, three of them were born in the United States, came from some other country. They came from America. They were born here. I mean, what the hell? Um, Now, one of them, you know, Ilhan Omar, she was born in Somalia. But she's an American citizen now, and she's lived here since she was a child. She moved here when she was very young, and she's a legit citizen. So go back where you came from. I mean, she's from America. She's an American. She's as American as you or I. Um, So, yeah, so Trump says, uh, who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, if they even have a functioning government at all. And he goes on to say, and now loudly and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on Earth, how our government is to be run. (laughs) I read that. I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's what you do, Trump. That's what you do. You keep telling us how the government should be run. That's why you want to enact tariffs that penalize Americans. Why you want to build walls and block people from moving in. And you want to do all these things. That's what politicians do. Politicians are in the business of of putting forth their ideas on how the country should be run. So are these women that you don't necessarily have to agree with these congresswomen. But that's what they do. And and that's what you do, Trump. And you're calling them out for the same damn thing. So um, he goes on to say, why don't they go back? That's the key word there. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came? Then come back here and show us how it's done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. You can't leave fast enough. Wow. And I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to quickly work out free travel arrangements. So that's the little political angle to this because – you know, these four congresswomen are like bucking broncos and they're, Pelosi's having a hell of a time trying to control them and get them to fall in line with this whole plan that she's you know managing as the leader of the Democratic Party, uh, as Speaker of the House. Um, and what Trump did here is very calculated, very strategic. He's trying to take these, you know, so-called extreme left wingers, these extreme progressives and pin that as the identity of the entire Democratic Party. And, and by extension, all, all the Democratic candidates, including the one he'll eventually face in the general election. I hate to say this, but from a Trump perspective, this is a smart angle to take um, because it puts Pelosi in a very uncomfortable position. Does she now defend her squad or does she still try to keep them at bay? You know, because Pelosi was having a little bit of trouble managing it. But this whole notion of They need to go back and help help fix the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came is just this is the part of it that is is vile. And it's so contradictory to what Trump talks about, because on one hand, he's telling them to go back to the place, um, you know, where where they came from. But on the other hand, he's got there are people that are on our border that want to come to America. And he's telling them instead, you should stay in your country and fix it. But now he's telling these people, you need to go back um, rather than staying in their country and fix it because they're all four Americans, three of which were born here. So um, the contradiction is just insane. The hypocrisy is crazy. So when this these tweets came out, As you can expect, there was a uproar um, because there are racist themes here, you know, going back to your um, corrupt, inept, you know, countries um, in crime infested places. I mean, this is consistent with his shithole comment about all these shithole countries. Now. Which coincidentally, t- typically are countries that are predominantly, you know, African or Latin. Um, and again, this is where it, the racism isn't exactly direct and overt, but it's there. It's 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 definitely implied. And some people say it's dog whistling. Um, so what he's doing here, and again, this is Trump's po- uh, tactic. He likes to divide. Which again drives me crazy. I want presidents, I want leaders that bring us together, that find ways that we're going to work together and cooperate. But he's all about division. Ooh, my goodness, I just knocked over the microphone. Hopefully, I didn't create too much of a disturbance if you're listening. Um, but uh, Trump, uh, th- this this is a very calculated thing that he's doing, and it from a from a marketing perspective, in many ways, it's very smart because he's. He's branding his opposition before they have a chance to really effectively brand themselves. I mean, he did this in the 2016 election with his nicknames, you know, Low Energy Jeb and um, Little Mario and Lion Ted and Crooked Hillary. And I mean, those nicknames were just so juvenile, so beneath the idea of what the presidency is all about. I hate to say it, but they worked, and so you know he 's playing that and playing it to his advantage and we are all being manipulated by this, um, and it just infuriates me to no end um, and and really you know it 's interesting if you think about this 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 keep this whole angle. Uh, going back to where you came from. And uh, this goes back to, you know, the whole birtherism thing. When Trump was putting that forward, saying that President Obama was born in wasn't born in the United States. He was born in Kenya, I think, was the accusation. Um, And again, pushing this nationalist, racist, racist, Kind of uh, rhetoric. Uh, it makes you wonder, like, because you know, remember, Trump used to be a Democrat. Uh, makes you wonder if 2013, he knew he was going to run for a presidency in 2016. Maybe he launched that birtherism piece just to fire up his base, that base of voters that are still very loyal to him now. Uh, Because he was calling out Obama And he was calling him out On bigoted, on racist uh, Terms and frankly on lies And that was kind of red meat For part of his base Not all of his base, but part of his base So it always made me wonder now Looking back in retrospect If that was all calculated As part of the path that Trump did To set himself up For the 2016 election But you know, it, it's again, it's very Trumpian to always have a villain, to always have a foil. Um, and you know, if it's not, if it's not crooked Hillary or Lion Ted, it's the media. Now it's the squad, and so um, kind of again, it, it's it's effective in the political landscape. You go onto social media, and people just get sucked into it and fall in line with this, and it begins to define and take over the um, the dialogue the conversation and we get off track from trying to solve things like our uh, our major foreign policy challenges and the national debt which by the way is going crazy because the Republicans have hundred percent abandoned any idea of fiscal responsibility not that they really ever had it in the first place Um but, uh, you know, issues of corporatism and rigged markets that benefit um, corporations because they use government as their tool to block um, entrepreneurs. And we can go on and on uh, violations of civil liberties. Um, there are some real serious challenges in this country um, and picking fights with the squad um, is politically calculated. But it's just a shame that our dialogue has been reduced to this. Um, You know, I even read an article that someone was saying that he, in many ways, is is attempting to redefine what it means to be an American. I mean, even from this policy or or these tweets, he was telling them to go back to the country where you came from. These people were three of them were born here. All four of them are citizens of the United States. And he's telling them you need to get out. He's essentially saying you're not American. So get out of here. And this is the whole thing where, you know, he's also challenging the notion of birthright citizenship, which is encoded in our Constitution. That if you're born in America, you are an American citizen. Um, The immigration laws that he's putting forward, you know, making it even harder for people to become immigrants or even become citizens. In many ways, he is redefining what it means to be American. And it flies in the face of what this country was all built upon. Remember, and I, I, I sometimes get redundant, but America, if you look at the preamble of the Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal. Now, that was in the day when people would say men, but they really meant all human beings are cre- not, it's not gender specific. All men are created equal and they have certain inalienable rights. Inalienable means can't be taken away. They are rights from God Rights from nature They are inalienable individual rights Some people call them natural rights Certain inalienable rights That among these include The rights to life, liberty And the pursuit of happiness Which is what this podcast is all about And that means that The government's role Is to secure those rights To defend those rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But what Trump does is he completely violates those rights. He violates liberty he violates the right to be essentially owning your own life. I mean, telling people to get out and setting up concentration camps on borders and, and the litany of these other policies are a direct violation of that. And by the way, it doesn't say all citizens are created equal. It doesn't say all Americans are created equal. It says all men are created equal, which ultimately means all human beings are created equal. That means that every member of this squad, AOC, Ilhan Omar, uh, Rashid Talib and Ayanna Presley, they all have the same rights as you, Mr. President. Um, and you should be defending their rights, even though you don't like their policies. Then battle them on the level of policy. Engage in the debate. Have a conversation of big ideas rather than attacking them and attacking their rights, the rights that you're supposed to defend as the leader of our executive branch. So the whole thing is crazy. So then it came up with the July 17th event that was in Greenville, North Carolina, and the crowd started chanting, send her back, send her back. And it, it, you start hearing this and it's, you know, it's like the, um, you know, the, the Charlottesville when they were doing blood and soil, chanting that when they were marching. It's really ugly. Um, it's, it's scary. This whole notion of mobs of people demanding that people be sent away, be... lose their rights as Americans and be banished to the country from which they came or from which their ancestors came. I mean, I was born in America. My ancestors are from Ireland. It'd be like telling me to go back to Ireland when I've never even been to Ireland in my life. Um, it's, the, it's the same idea, which is just crazy. Um, so a lot of people called that um, event on the 17th, that rally in Greensville, a defining moment that maybe some Trump supporters might finally be waking up and seeing what this presidency is all about. And maybe they're prepared to finally switch teams or at least be independent and maybe get off the, the Republican bandwagon. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it, if it, if this will be the turning point because Trump's supporters are fiercely fiercely loyal. And even Trump said back when he was campaigning in 2016 that I could be I could uh, shoot a person on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan and they'd still support me. And they would. Um, a lot of them would. I mean, I can't believe that to be it, it, But yeah, I mean, it doesn't ma- it almost doesn't matter what he says or what he represents. They still fall in line. Um, and You know, I mean, they have every right to do that. He's their guy. But, man. Um, Yeah. So the policies of the progressives I strongly oppose as well. But some of this is just unbelievable. I can't help but talk about it. So um, I guess that's why I have a podcast. I get a chance to talk about it. Um, And... This whole idea of, you know, even the Republicans in Congress are afraid to say anything against him because if they do, he unleashes the mob and will primary out those congressmen. And he's done that to Mark Sanford and he effectively did that to Jeff Flake, who basically dropped out because he wasn't doing well. So there's a big army of Trump supporters that are very loyal to him and will drive out people that, have, that are opposing him. And that's why I, I, I always go on and on about Justin Amash. I think he's a hero. I think Justin Amash is extraordinarily brave. And um, I think it took a lot of guts for him to call out the president, to demand the process for impeachment be started. And he did this as a Republican. And on July 4th, he declared his independence from the Republican Party, and now he's an independent in Congress. I think Justin Amash is very special, Um, and I'm very curious to see what he ends up doing. Is he going to keep his seat in 2020? I know he's going to be challenged by a bunch of Republicans. Is he going to keep his seat as an independent? Some people are saying he may run for president on the Libertarian ticket. I don't think he will. Unless he's cl- and unless it's very clear, he won't be able to retain his con- congressional seat. But we'll see. But anyways, in, in spite of all that, I think this is what makes him so brave. But get this. This is another piece of news that just came forward. And I saw it today and it was crazy. So, a California delicatessen, a California deli was branded racist after launching a Send Her Back special. A Send Her Back special. I mean, you saw, I saw that headline. I, I had to find out more, and I'll read this to you. John Canessa, who is the owner of. Knessa's Brooklyn Heroes, so like a hero, like a subway sandwich, Um, in Clayton. I know Clayton is in Contra Costa County, which is in the East Bay of San Francisco Bay Area. He shared a divisive status on his personal Facebook page in which he described the special reports in the New York Post. And in the post, he allegedly wrote, Meatballs made with beef today In case you're offended In case we offend anyone you, um, you overly sensitive pork haters Free side when you say Send her back Like, oh my god so, so, again, this is what happens When we have a president That is so divisive And stokes a lot of these Inflammatory, racist Bigoted, divisive language It just... It just emboldens a lot of those same people to do the same. And we begin to see this. Um, And immediately, you know, there was a strong reaction to this uh, business owner and he was getting slammed in Yelp. And and that's good. That's appropriate. I'm glad the marketplace is attempting to solve it. But I'll bet there's a certain faction of people that flocked to his restaurant and were very happy to buy from him. So, again, it's just what's going on in this world. It's just insane. Um, But when I start hearing a lot of this. A lot of this is really tribalism, you know, and what is tribalism? It's the whole notion of being loyal to a collective. And a lot of times, I mean, you think about tribes, sometimes you think about Native Americans or or, you know, early the early history of of, uh, mankind. But tribes exist today in America. And they can be fiercely loyal around a a person um, like Jim Jones, probably being one of the more extreme examples um, or fiercely loyal to an idea. Um, Or or fiercely loyal to A lifestyle Um, So there are various types of tribes um, And that's what a lot of this is Is tribalism And I saw a quote recently And it was from Ayn Rand You know, She wrote Atlas Shrug and the Fountainhead But I I find her to be very interesting And she had this quote about tribalism That is so fitting From what happened with this whole send her back thing And she said Tribalism is a product of fear and fear is the dominant emotion of any person, culture or society that rejects reason. And this is beautiful. It's a little bit like Yoda, like fear is the path to the dark side. <laughs> and there's that whole line that Yoda has. Um, but yeah, tribalism is a product of fear. And that's true. In many ways, not only are they rallying to what they believe in, but they're fearful of what other people might bring to them. But she said that it's the dominant emotion of any person, culture or society that rejects reason. And that's true, because I think in a lot of cases, tribalism can sometimes get emotional and irrational. Um, But if you really think and use reason, then I think you can begin to see through a lot of this. You know, but tribalism is, is so strong in America and you see a lot of this with, with various forms of collectivism right? on a larger scale. We hear a lot about socialism or democratic socialism, um, but we see collectivism um, on the right with no, with with fascism or nationalism. You know, America first. Um, that's another form of tribalism. And I tend to be on the other end of the spectrum. I'm more about individualism where it's about individual rights, that we each personally have our own right to our own life, a right to our own liberty and a right for each of us to pursue our own happiness. I think that makes a great deal of sense. I I like to there's some people that see the group before the individual. I like to see the individual before the group. Uh, because if we judge people based on their skin color or their religion or some other characteristic of the tribe, uh, then we lose sight of what that individual is all about. You know, content of character, not color of skin, right? Um, but when we get into this notion of tribalism, it also really degrades one of our core American values, that of America being a melting pot. America has historically always been a nation that has welcomed immigrants to our shores from all over the world. We've we've not been perfect. America's history has not been angelic. But still, people from all over the world have come to the America, and for the most part, they have assimilated and blended into society and have adopted American values. That is one thing that really makes America special. In fact, it makes America great. Um, but when we get into this idea of tribalism, that breaks down. And we saw tribalism, you know, back when we had that huge influx of immigrants, you know, we saw discrimination against Italians and, and Irish and Jews. We saw discrimination against the Chinese. Fortunately, over time, those broke down. But then the discrimination just went to other groups that were so-called, you know, lesser in the eyes of, of some. But if we can judge people as, in, as, in, as individuals, we can get beyond that and get beyond this notion of tribalism and really look at each of us uniquely. Based on our own character, our own experience, our own behavior, and what we bring to the table. And I think that is the way we should judge people in America. So um, now there's one other interesting angle. And this is another unique kind of comment that I like to make. This whole idea of send her back. Um, Ilhan Omar is from Somalia. And you know Somalia is in eastern Africa. Um, Somalia has had a lot of civil wars. And you'll sometimes hear, um, you know, people like me, um, I'm all about free markets and low regulation, low taxes, individual liberty. I mean, that's kind of the sandbox I like to be in. Um, But you'll see some of this rhetoric online where people will comment about low taxes. And then you'll hear progressives say, you should move to Somalia. Just move to Somalia. They don't have any taxes over there. And I'm thinking, what a just... I remember hearing that saying, what a ridiculous statement. Because in America... You know, we're all here because we want to be here. And we all aren't happy, you know, with every aspect of the way the culture is set up, the way society is built. We all have things that we would like to change. The things that you might want to change are different than the things I want to change. But that's the beauty of living in in this society. There's so much diversity, right? And we all have different opinions and different ways of seeing things. We have this dialogue, this exchange of ideas. We work through these things. We work through our disciplines. Agreements. In some cases, we compromise. In other cases, we agree to disagree. That's OK. But when they say you should just go to Somalia, you know, it was almost like some progressives were sort of high and mighty about that. Well, you know, you don't like it here and go to Somalia. It's almost like what we're hearing from the MAGA group. It's like America, love it or leave it. I'm thinking this is just crazy. So now we're seeing the shoes sort of on the other foot where progressives are now outraged by this. Send her back when a lot of progressives have been essentially saying the same thing. You know, you don't like it here. Leave. Go back to where you came from. You know, Um, so the whole idea is just nuts. So I think hopefully we can all agree that we want to make America a better place, a place that we we want to lo- we want to love and we want to raise our families here and we want to instill positive values and we like to see our society evolve for the better um, and we we'll, we're going to have disagreements and we'll work through those things um, but uh, I don't know It's it just again it's just leaders pushing this divisive rhetoric um, and it damages us and, and sadly it works it works on the political level I wish it didn't work but it does work. Um, And that's why they keep going to that well. And it will never stop working until voters wise up and realize they're being manipulated realize they're pawns in this game that is being played way above their pay grade. And that's, what's happening. Um, we're being manipulated and it's terrible. And Trump, you know, he plays this game, you know, it's all about winners and losers. He did that with Justin Amash, called him a loser. This is the thing with Trump that just drives me crazy. Um, he sees the world as winners and losers. I like to see the world as win-win. How can we come together and we can both emerge victorious? Um, But in Trump's world, it's about winners and losers. It's about division. It's the opposite of uniting us. Um, One nation indivisible. I mean, talk about the Pledge of Allegiance. That's another podcast. I've got a podcast already kind of in the oven cooking about the Pledge of Allegiance. We're going to do that one probably in the next week or so. Um, But in the the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, one nation under God indivisible. (laughs) When... When Trump, who gets upset about the Pledge of Allegiance, is pushing division, the opposite of indivisible. Uh, Again, it's nuts. So anyways, I hope you enjoyed that part of it. I still have a little bit more to go here in the podcast, but it's just insane. This whole sender back thing. So um, I always uh, like to put out to all my viewers, my listeners, if you like what you're watching, um, I'd love to have more guests and um, normally we can sit in the podcast studio and I've got a couple of guests that we're lining up for the early part of August, but I'm always more interested in having conversations with guests. I mean, I can stand here on my soapbox and rant. Maybe some of you like that. Um, but I think it's a lot more interesting when we can have some authors, columnists, business people, athletes, coaches, community activists, politicians, um, parents, um, you know, teenagers, I mean, there's a lot of different people I think it would be very interesting to have a conversation with. And you could join me here on the John Riley Project. We won't be able to get back into the podcast studio probably until maybe the second week of August. Um, but be- between now and then, hey, we can hang out here under the palapa in the backyard and have a great conversation. So if you know anyone who'd like to be a guest, you can reach out to me. You can find me on social media, uh, John Riley Project on Facebook, John Riley Poway in Uh, Twitter and on Instagram, or you can go to my website, JohnRileyProject.com. You can fill out a form and um, let me know. So if you're interested in participating, please reach out. Okay, now let's talk about the death penalty. And um, this just came in the news, and the headline was The Federal Government to Resume Capital Punishment After a Nearly 20 Year Hiatus. think the death penalty had still been legal at the federal level but now they're saying they're going to start using it um after being sort of dormant for the last 20 years. The article went on to say the U.S. government is poised to carry out the death penalty for the first time in nearly two decades, the Justice Department announced Thursday. U.S. Attorney General William Barr has instructed the Federal Bureau of Prisons to change the federal execution protocol to include capital punishment, the Justice Department said. Like, So again, this is more... More uh, policy and rhetoric That plays right into the hands um, of, of certain factions of society And it's interesting is If you look at polls The death penalty is actually favored By just over 50% In fact, I think I looked at one today It was like 52%, 53% In a Pew Research poll Support the death penalty I used to support the death penalty You know, probably back in the 1980s, it seemed logical to me. You know, you kill someone, you don't deserve to live. You should be killed, too. And on a kind of a reptilian brain level, that made sense to me. And I get why people believe that some people don't deserve to be on this planet breathing air. We shouldn't be wasting money on these people in prison. Um, This person doesn't deserve to live. You hear those lines. Um, And I used to think that way And my wife changed my mind And I think this is interesting because When we As we're growing up Maybe your views on issues Change and morph a little bit Mine have changed In certain categories But you know what they've all changed And moved in the direction Of individual rights And of liberty Um, And I'm happy I'm happy for that Because it made my own sort of personal point of view became even more crystal clear it just, as I evolved on some of these positions I always seem to evolve in the same direction and I like that and I went from being a supporter of the death penalty to being an opponent and my wife said and I thought this was a really this opened my eyes she said if killing is wrong how can you rationalize killing someone else to prove that killing is wrong what? Well, yeah, that makes sense. You know, if killing is immoral, then why would you continue the immorality of sentencing someone to death just to prove that killing is wrong? When you just did. You just killed someone. So the, the whole thing is just that doesn't make any sense at all and I thought, wow, okay. You know, and you hear this is also another angle where there, there's a lot of things that the government can do that for them it's, it's legal But for any individual to do it It would be illegal, immoral um, It would be reason for people to be I mean depending on the offense You know, fired from a job or Thrown in jail um, But somehow it's okay for the government to do it Which is incredible So um, Yeah, killing people to prove killing is wrong Is hypocrisy It is, it, it's, it's hypocrisy It's a double standard of morality Um and um, the other thing is If you look at any study The the, the death penalty is not a deterrent It's not I mean, I mean how many people do you think Are like considering killing someone And they decide Well I'm not going to do it Because someone might put me In an electric chair They're not thinking that way So the death penalty Isn't a deterrent at all What the death penalty really is Is an attempt for some people To get closure A, sen- a sense for some people To provide a an Old Testament type of justice of an eye for an eye. To me, that's what I think is driven by that. Uh, but it's not a deterrent, no matter what people say. I mean, this, the data is true, and if you think at it from a common sense perspective, it's not a deterrent at all. It's not. I mean, p- you're assuming that th- that people that are that are cold blooded killers are rational. <laughs> they're not. They're making irrational decisions. Um, so they're not thinking, and they're not thinking long term about the consequences. They're just out there, and they're. They're enraged and the blood is flowing and, and they're, you know, they're ready to commit this heinous act. They're not thinking about it, a death penalty. Um, the other part of it is that I reason I oppose the death penalty is I think it gives too much power to the government. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm, that's consistent with my point of view. I'm, I'm all about individual rights, individual liberty, which means you have to contain government power. You have to constrain government so we can be freer. That doesn't mean you eliminate government. Government still needs to exist to protect rights, to essentially hold people accountable that violate other people's rights, to hold people accountable that commit murder, theft, fraud, rape, assault, you know, all of that. Government plays a role in holding those people to justice. But if the government power is so great that it has the power to kill its own citizens, to kill people in the nation. I mean, well, that's not that far away from some of these horrible acts of genocide, these horrible mass murders that we've seen in history. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with the death penalty, but it's drifting in that direction. And that's a scary direction, and we've seen that in the 20th century. My goodness, with what happened with Stalin and Russia, and Hitler and Germany, and Pol Pot and Cambodia. I mean, with Mao and China. I mean, there's been mass killings by the hands of the government. We shouldn't have policies that let the government kill its own people. It's, it's immoral. It's inconsistent with the government's defined role of securing our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, obviously, if someone murders someone, someone commits a heinous crime, they need to be held accountable. They can be put in jail with no possibility of parole. I mean, there's a whole series of other kinds of justice that can be doled out. But killing them violates the whole purpose. The government exists in the first place. Um, and to me, it's, it's, it's immoral. If killing is wrong, you know, then killing is wrong and the government shouldn't be able to do it um, in this case. So um, I, I, I object to that as well. But like I said, I, it's interesting that some people really get fired up about this whole notion of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And some of them tend to be very religious people. But then on the other hand, they ignore the whole notion of love thy neighbor and turn the other cheek. And there's like certain inconsistencies there. It's also, by the way, proven. Some people approach it from a money perspective. Well, I don't want to spend my tax dollars on keeping people on death row and paying for them to live. But, you know, this is also proven. It's more expensive for someone to exist on death row than it is for them to be in in prison for life. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it's because when you're on death row, you're in a much greater high security prison that costs more. And there's an appeals process that goes on and on. And that costs a lot of money in attorneys. Um, and they want to make sure there should be a great appeal process, because how many times have we seen in the news where DNA evidence has come forward and suddenly this person that has been in jail for 30 years, they were totally innocent. Imagine if they were killed uh, by a government that was enacting the will of certain people that had a lust for that person to be to put to death. So the, the death penalty, in my opinion, is a very immoral policy, and it's a shame that it's coming back, but it's really no surprise that it's coming back under the presidency of John Donald Trump. And I know it exists in some states, but now they're putting it on the table. And god, it's just it's very disheartening cuz I think it again it goes against the very values of what this nation is really all about. Okay. Um Let's talk about uh, a couple of final words here. Um, I always do this at the end of my podcast. If, if you're interested in helping um, what we're doing, if you like what you're hearing, if you like what you're seeing, hey, we're in John's backyard today um, at the Palapa. Uh, if you like this and, and you want to help, uh, the best thing you can do is tell a friend. Hey, there's this guy John Riley. He's got this podcast called the John Riley Project. It's on YouTube. It's on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Podcasts and Spotify. Um, And it's this podcast and they talk about lots of things. We talk about local issues here in the Poway Rancho Bernardo, Rancho Penasquitos, Forest Ranch, Carmel Mountain Ranch, Saber Springs area. We talk about things in the San Diego area. We talk about national issues. We talk about politics. And I tend to approach things from a perspective of liberty. Um, We talk about entrepreneurism. We talk about sports We talk about electric vehicles I just want another Electric vehicle drive Um, You know We have a Hyundai Kona And a Chevy Bolt Uh, Got a charging station In our garage I just drove my car uh, Up to San Francisco Over the weekend Had a great trip Um Love my electric car And I can go on and on about that We talk about electric cars on this podcast Um, And just talk about a lot of interesting topics With interesting people um, Local guests And um, if you're interested and you like it Tell a friend Uh, Recommend this to a friend If you see our posts on social media First of all, like us on social media Like our Facebook page, John Riley Project Um, I also have a special Insiders Group Facebook group It's a closed group But you can get in, just ask permission It's called the John Riley Project Insiders Group I'll post bonus content there uh, Videos when I'm out on the road um, And we have some more engaging conversations there So you can follow us there I post our episodes on Twitter. Um, I'm doing a little bit more on Instagram, and I'm trying to do even more on social media. So follow us there. Retweet. um, Share posts. That would be wonderful. That would be very helpful. What else can you do? Maybe you're a business. You'd like to sponsor the John Riley Project. We'd love to have you. Come join us. Um, Have an interview with you. We'll talk about your business. Read some commercials on the air here and maybe we'll go to your place of business and bring the gear and do a remote podcast from your facility. That'd be a lot of fun. Or... If you're interested in financially contributing what we do, we happily take donations. And the money we get from this, we pour every nickel of it back into this podcast project. We use it to um, advertise online. We just had a really successful Facebook campaign. um, And we've dramatically increased the number of people that follow and like us on on Facebook by doing paid ads. Just trying to get more exposure, grow the audience. Um, Any contribution you make would go there. We also use the money um, to get more equipment, so I just bought this uh, microphone here. It's a Rode USB microphone, and um, I knew I was going to be doing some podcasts out here on the Palapa, so I got that. Um, I also have a guy that works for me. His name is Zeke Kitchen, and he's a videographer. He helps me out with some of the video work. Some of the more produced segments we do, he comes on board and I pay him. Um, So the money we get from this, all of it, 100% of it goes back into the project. Not a nickel of it stays in my wallet or is spent for my own frivolous activity. So if you want to help support us, we'd love to have you on the Facebook, or if you go to my website, John Riley Project, up on the menu, there's a button there for donate or to sponsor. Um, if you're a business, you want to sponsor, you can leave your information there. If you're an individual, you like to donate, you click on it. It goes to our Patreon page. And there you can donate, you know, two bucks, five bucks. Maybe you want to do a subscription, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month. We'd love your support. We really would really appreciate it. Um, and um, hey, so we're at the end of our podcast. I think about time there should be dinner served inside. Um, we're feeding a bunch of, of athletes. That's my wife and I and my two children who are athletes. And then we have the two out of town athlete guests. Hopefully we have enough food for them. Uh, So I'll be heading back in for that. But I want to leave you with another quote uh, because I like to have closing quotes on these podcasts. And this is another really good one. It's also from Ayn Rand. And she said, the hardest thing to explain is the glaringly evident which everybody has decided not to see. Now, isn't that true? It's like hiding in plain sight, right? Sometimes things are so obvious, they can't be seen. This is, was true here in Poway. When we had the Chabad shooting, um, and people were saying, this is not Poway. I'm thinking, well, yeah, it is. It's so glaringly evident. It really is Poway. Uh, but people want to pull the window shade down and look away. Um, sometimes things... Um, the hardest thing to explain Is the glaringly evident Which everybody has decided not to see There is a certain level of hate In this community I love Poway Don't get me wrong There are some We saw it at the at the Chabad shooting We've seen a few other incidents of it here But people want to deny it I think we have to understand it We have to accept that it's real And we have to confront it um, That's what we need to do Rather than saying this is not Poway um, it 's also, I think, when we see people call out some of trump 's bigotry and some of his racism, people don 't want to see that. Sometimes it, they might think it 's hard to see because it 's not plainly evident. The language he uses goes right up to the line, in some cases crosses the line, but it 's not as obvious. Uh, some people don 't want to see that either, even though it 's glaringly evident, and when he says, "Send her back." When he refers to these other nations as shithole countries, that's a form of racism. And it needs to be called out. It needs to be confronted. And um, and sometimes people don't see it because it's glaringly evident and it's right in our face. And I think that's true with this whole sender back thing. And that's why I brought it up. And it's another Ayn Rand quote because we had the original Ayn Rand quote on tribalism, which I'm going to go back and read that one because that's a good one. And she said, Tribalism is a product of fear. And fear is the dominant emotion of any person, culture, or society that rejects reason. I have no more to say. This is John Riley. This is the John Riley Project, episode number 63, Thursday, July 25th, 2019. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll talk to you later, folks. Thanks. Bye bye.